on, Kent. Come on, fight back! Get up, Kent. <laughs> so is that it? Is that all you've got? Come on, Kent. Come on! You? you know they can't. It's not what I meant. I meant are you all right? I wanted to hit that kid. I wanted to hit him so bad. I know you did. I mean, part of me even wanted you to, but then what? Make you feel any better? You just have to decide what kind of man you want to grow up to be, Clark, because whoever that man is, good character or bad, he's it's going to change the world. Which, again, I thank you for being here today. It seems like we're in the theme right now. If it's not weather, today, if you didn't want to be here, you had a good excuse, right? You could have said, I just missed the whole time change thing, but I'm glad that you didn't. For two months now, we have been studying to understand the superpower that is at work in the life of every follower of Jesus. Superpower. In this final week, we are going to talk about the number one troublemaker in your life. And when I say troublemaker, I'm talking person. It is the person that has made life difficult for you in the past and will make things more difficult for you in the years ahead. Now, you are familiar with him or her because you see them every morning in the mirror. In the mirror. And what we're talking about today is we're going to zero in on the primary struggle that you have with that one that's looking back at you in the mirror. It is this, the lack of the discipline of self-control. Right then you thought, I could have slept an hour or longer, right? The lack of the discipline of self-control. Now, truth, we don't like having that conversation. We just don't. The lack of the discipline of self-control, are you kidding me? When I mention it, there is a chill that goes over your body, and it's not the good kind. When I was growing up, before the dark forces took over the Dallas Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys had a coach by the name of Tom Landry. And I, as a kid, and I, as an adult, um, truly 
just loved Coach Landry. I did. I, I loved him uh, as a coach. He was a great coach. Um, but he was a follower of Jesus in the fullest sense of the word. This is, this is a, a photo that, that sits in my office um, that he wrote to me a long time ago. Um, I got to meet him a lot of years later here in Kansas City. Um, got to hear him speak at a deal, and we actually played some, so, some golf at the same time. And on a, on a course, it, it was just a cool opportunity to meet him. Here's something that Coach Landry used to say. He would say, my job as a coach is to get men to do what they do not enjoy doing in order that they might achieve what they have always dreamed of in their lives. And then he would follow it with one word, discipline. He said, my job is to get men to do what they don't want to do. Because we don't like this conversation. We don't like talking about the discipline of self-control. But he said, we got to go here in order that you might achieve what you have always dreamed of achieving. This is key to life. I would say all across this room today, everything that you would mention to me, that that's something that you're proud of, something that you have achieved, something that you have attained. I mean, whether it's to be able to play an instrument or whether it's to master a language or whatever it might be, I'm telling you what had to be present in order for you to do that is this discipline of self-control. And so the question is, if it's so key, why is this so difficult? Why is it so difficult, and why is the very sound of the word just make us want to run the other direction? Well, let's start here, and let's see if you can relate to what a very well-known guy in Scripture, how he would put it. His name is Paul. And this is how he speaks it in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. This is what he says. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire, check this out, to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work, this principle at work, this standard is at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Now come on, can't, can't we relate to that? It's like I, I can will it, he says, but I, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, and then I end up doing it anyway. He says, something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the best of me at times. That is me. That's me. I am all over Romans chapter 7. That's me. I want to encourage you to say those words with me. What words? That's 
me. You ready? One, two, three. That's me. I thought some of you would say, that's you. I thought you would. <laughs> it is me. A and it is you. And, and we don't ever forget it. Because no matter how much I learn, I I'm written all over Romans chapter 7. No, no matter how many degrees that I earn, I, I am written all over chapter 7. No matter how much God uses me, I, I am still written all over Romans chapter 7. That's me. And whatever your particular battle looks like, for some of you maybe it's a temper. For some of you it is patience or the lack of it. For some of you, it may be lust. For some, dishonesty. For some, it is your thoughts. Romans 7 reminds us that everybody's got the skeletons, and they don't stay in the closet. We see the effect of it on our culture. No, all, being all the way from road rage to frivolous lawsuits to, to selfish sexuality, to disintegrating families, we see the effect of the lack of this discipline of self-control. Let me give you an Old Testament image of what Paul, I think, is describing in the New Testament in Romans chapter 7. The Old Testament image is found in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. Here's what he says. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Interesting. Now that's a big deal because in, in those ancient cities, there, there really was nothing more important than the wall. The wall of the city was key. Thus, you think about, some of you know Nehemiah's story. You, you've, you've read about Nehemiah. You've studied about Nehemiah. He, when he returns, he knows that the first thing that must be built is walls. You've got to get those walls up. The walls are about safety. The walls are about protection. And when there is no wall, and in this case, it's saying there is no wall of self-control, then self kicks in. We become easy prey for the enemy. We all know it. We all know it. I know it. How many times I remember going, why did I say that? Why did I say that? Why did I do that when I know better than to do that? And we all know the damage that is done in those moments and then the time that it takes to recover, depending on what you said or how you acted. Left to ourselves, what do we look like? What do we look like when there is no wall? What do your finances look like when there is no wall? No self-control. What's your attitude like when there is no wall of self-control? What is your emotions like when there is no wall of self-control? What's your calendar look like when there is no wall of self-control? It is interesting to me, in this study we've been in, we've been anchored in Galatians chapter 5. Really one particular verse and a part of another one, which we'll get to that in a minute. But every week we go to Galatians 5, we're talking about the superpower that, that, that God is, is, is doing in us. I find it interesting that 
Paul, who also wrote Galatians, chooses to take this last superpower. And on the front side of the verse that we've been studying, he talks about it. And then on the back side of the verse that we've been studying, he talks about it. It's like he picks this one and he gives us an incredible amount of information here to understand what's going on. Why is this such a fight? Check it out. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We'll come back to that word. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. Another way to phrase that last, that last part, it, it can be phrased so that, so that you can't do what you want. You don't end up doing what you really want to do. Now, here's the stage. God creates first man, first woman, Adam and Eve. When they sin against God... Something happens not just to them, but something happens to the human race. Our nature, it is marred. Who we were created to be, this, this perfect relationship with God, uh, when sin enters, we are affected. It becomes this, this sinful nature. It is what the scripture describes as the flesh. From that point on, we are all born with this battle. This battle of self that we just heard is in conflict. It is a fight. It is a battle between what I want and what who wants the Spirit. What I want is opposite of what the Spirit wants. What, 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 what the Spirit wants is, is opposite of what my self wants. We are born with this sinful nature wanting our way, ourselves first. It's mine and I want it now. And what we got to understand is even after becoming followers of Jesus, this fight's still on. Even after becoming followers of Jesus, that, that flesh still fights. Me wanting my way instead of God's, it still fights. Me wanting to make it all about me, it, it still fights. So what happens if we just give in and go with me? Well, I think Paul knew you would answer that or ask that, and so he answers that in verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. And I find, I'm not going to comment on all these, but I find it interesting that, that Paul starts with some images of, of related to sexual sin. How wild is that when you consider 
the battle of the culture in which we live 2,000 years ago, he called it. Let's keep reading because it's a great list. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Drunkenness, orgies, check this phrase, and the like. I don't think that's insignificant. I think that you're reading along and you're thinking, uh, okay, he's, he's out. He's out of, of ideas. He's, he's out. And he's going, nope. I could, I could go five more pages if you want me to. I can give you five more pages if you'd like, but, but, but this represents, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So each of us, with our own particular struggles, right, and the like, for some, it is, it is sex out of control. For some, it is anger out of control. He says, for some, it is, it is preference out of control. In other words, this is the kind of life that develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. I'm going to say it again. This is the kind of life that develops out of trying to get my own way all the time. But I find myself always wanting, but never satisfied, never full, loveless sex, trinket gods, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, brutal temper, Divided lives and therefore divided homes, addictions, depersonalizing everyone into a rival. It's the kind of stuff that Paul goes, this is, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like when you and I just want to live life trying to get it our way all the time. And you can dress us up, but this is still what the flesh looks like. Put a tux on it or in its pajamas. This is still what the flesh looks like. And all the theology that you pack away in your brain will not dress up the flesh. The flesh is still as ugly as sin. The good news I got for you, <laughs> that's not where Paul stops. That's not where Galatians 5 ends. In fact, what is next is what you and I have been celebrating for the last two months. It's a big deal. This is a huge hinge verse. This, is, this has got major consequences. This is like the rescue. This is after all this ugliness, all this list, all, all the filth that's described. This is what it's like for me to be in charge. This is what it's like for me to just want for me. Now comes the hinge verse that changes everything. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, he's the power God himself at work in you, the fruit of the Spirit that opposes the flesh. What's he doing? 
Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? There it is. Self-control. How does this work? Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have, what's the next word? Crucified. Those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul, how do we, how do we fight this? How do we fight this? How, do we, how is this control? How do you get you under control? And Paul says, here's the word, crucify. Crucify. Now, that's not normal advice. It's not normal advice. Somebody normally says, hey, I'm really struggling in this area. What do you think I should do? And the mo- most, most of the time, the advice is, well, what do you think you should do? What, what do you want to do? What seems right to you? Fulfill. No, Paul goes, no, it's, it's this word crucify. It, it, is, it is, I want that selfish stuff to die. I, I want my desires. I, I want my wants. I, I, want my, I want that to die. I want that to be done. I want the spirit in control. I want God in control. And when he's in control, he dominates the flesh. But here's what I got to warn you. Self, the flesh, does not die easy. This is not a simple fight. This fight is never over in the first round. This one will go the distance till the day Jesus brings us home, this fight's on. You hear me? You hear me? Till the day Jesus calls us home, this fight is on. Because the self, the flesh, doesn't die easy. Why? Well, because we enjoy the most giving ourselves the things we enjoy the most. Therefore, this goes against our nature to kill what we enjoy the most, us. I am my favorite charity, right? You are your favorite charity. This is what we like to give to the most and therefore, it goes against our nature to want to put that to death. Some time ago, we, we studied a little bit of this passage, and I described it to you. One, one person gave the imagery. It's like two dogs fighting, right? Two dogs fighting. And the question is, which one wins? And the answer was the one you feed the most. We'll look at that in just a second. To, to walk by the Spirit, when the Spirit's in control, And suddenly you realize that this tongue that you have been given, instead of blessing, is causing hurt. Then it's the Spirit. The Spirit speaks verbal restraint and says, hey, this is to bless, it is not to hurt. It's the spirit that does that. When, you're, when your temper is quick, 
It is the Spirit at work, superpower, saying, hey, anger, restraint. Anger, restraint. When, when your thoughts are wondering, mental restraint. When maybe it's lust for you, it is moral restraint. It is the Spirit who is doing that work in us. When He's in control, He brings life. When the Spirit is in control, He changes everything. I'll prove it to you. He can even change going to school. You're like, nothing could change going to school. Some of you who are students, some of you at various levels of education, can I tell you that the Spirit should be making a difference in your life if you are a follower of Jesus? Changing an education from something that you just tolerate or endure into something that you see as blessing and opportunity and listening for growth moments of what he's given you and how he's growing you. It is the spirit that changes that. Now, I'm not saying the spirit's going to give you better grades. That's not what I said. I didn't say that the spirit's going to give you better grades. It might. But here's the difference the Spirit makes. He's supposed to change your attitude. He's supposed to change my attitude. And He moves it from something that I just tolerate to something that I want to go after for a different reason. It's the Spirit who changes that. Some of you have thought all of your life that self-control is just about work. It's about working hard. And there's some of that involved. We're going to talk about that. But if that's all you think it is, that that self-control is just work, for most of us, that's not going to be enough power to get us past the next pack of peanut M&Ms. We're not going to survive the next pack. But what Paul seems to be saying here is self-control isn't just a work, but it is also a walk. It is something God is doing for you as you are walking with him. Walk in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. What what does that mean? What what does that mean? It it means, well, one, I acknowledge I need him. I need him. I'm I'm written all over Romans chapter 7. This is me. Without him, I need him. But to walk in the Spirit also is not just to acknowledge I need him. It is actually to acknowledge him. Can I tell you, I think a lot of people acknowledge they need him, but, but they spend very little part of their day actually acknowledging him. God, I need you, and I recognize you are here. You are at work. When, when I get up in the morning as I'm driving to work, as, I, as I'm in work, as I'm at school, the moments throughout the day that I am acknowledging he is present. He is present. I need him in every decision, in every circumstance, in every relationship, in every interaction to walk in the Spirit. It is the life that prays. Prayer is not something just called for for a few moments in the morning, maybe a few moments at night. It's supposed to be the life that prays. It is to acknowledge him all throughout the breath that he gives me every day to walk in the spirit. I acknowledge that I need him, but I also acknowledge him and I'm trusting. I'm trusting that his promises and his power, he is is able to grow me, therefore I act in obedience. 
that is what it is to keep in step with the Spirit as I'm, I need you. I, I know you're here. I'm leaning into your promises and your direction, and I will step that way. Some people get to this point, and their response is something like, well, if it's the Spirit who's, who's the empowering, and it's not me, then that means I can just kind of kick back in the recliner and ride this thing out, right? I mean, if it's the Spirit who brings the superpower, if it's, if it's Him doing the work, then I, I can just kick back leg, legs, right, and just, just wait. There's two things wrong with that. One, it's contradictory, first of all, in what you're saying, because to sit back is not to do nothing. To sit back is to do something. If the house is on fire, I can either get up and run out, or I can sit there. Both of those are to do something. So to choose to do nothing, it really is doing something. It's contradictory. Second, it's unbiblical, because what the Bible calls us to, places like Philippians where he says, beloved, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, get out of the chair because the house is on fire. Don't just sit there. But this is where it goes. Because. Not in spite of, but because. God is at work in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. In other words, God's power at work in me is not discouragement that causes me to kick back and just watch what happens. God's power in me, Paul says, is the incentive for me to fight. His power is the incentive for me to fight. Is it not true that people who don't know Jesus can have extraordinary self-control? Yeah, because I, I think, because I, I like sports world, and so I think of athletes who do, who, and when I listen to them, I know that they don't know Jesus. But they have incredible self-control in areas like what they eat, how they train, how they sleep, right? What, what, how they treat their body, what they do, it is incredible self-control. But what Paul's saying here is for the believer, for the believer in Jesus, the Spirit is the decisive cause of our self-control. The action of self-controlling in us, it is brought about by him. Control, because the Spirit is controlling through you. He is awakening self-control in you. In other words, here's the picture. Because of the cross, because of the blood that Jesus shed for us, that working of his Spirit is made possible. He works and we act. His working appears in our acting. In other words, the Spirit produces something different from the self-control that is produced in this world without Him because the Spirit leads me to depend on Jesus and the Spirit leads me to self-control so that I will point to His greatness, not mine. 
That's the difference the Spirit changes. Yes, he gives power. He gives power to fight against the flesh, but but he changes the why. And he changes the how. How does this happen for us? We depend on Jesus. And why do we do that? Because we want his greatness to be known. We know who he really is. Speaking of sports, the Apostle Paul He's our guy throughout this study. We've looked at what he said in Romans. We've looked at what he said in Galatians. Paul was a Jew by birth. But I like to say Paul is a Greek by sports. He's a Jew by birth, but he's a Greek by sports. Because when you read his writings time and time again, the sports world surfaces. And such is the case in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. This is what he says. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He says everybody trains. But only one wins. Everybody trains, but only one wins. He says, and they do what they do for for a prize. But it's a prize that that tarnishes. In that day, the prize would have been a a wreath and a a, a plaque. Usually it was a bronze plaque that would be put on the, the wall of the city. But he says, no matter what metal that's made out of, it, it tarnishes but our prize. Our prize is much greater. And you can hear it in his voice. You can hear it. In, 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 he says, therefore, therefore I fight. Therefore I strike. And the word that he uses there is the word that means to make black and blue under the eye. That's what it means. It means to make black and blue under the eye. In other words, I got this image of Paul doing this. This is what he's doing. He's talking about the fight that's on. And he's saying, therefore, I I keep striking blows. Now, Paul is not talking about self-harm here. He's not. But he is talking about fighting against the flesh. As we lean into the Spirit, and his point is, this is not just some game. This is not just some game. This is the kingdom of God. This is the greatest prize. He's saying nobody's got a mission like the mission that we've got, and therefore he says, I'm just going to keep punching. 
I'm going to keep fighting. This old flesh that is at work in me, this old flesh that wants to push back against the Spirit, he says, I'm just going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep on fighting to acknowledge that I need him. I'm going to get up every day, keep on fighting, acknowledging that he is with me. Every day, keep on fighting, knowing his promises, knowing the Spirit's word, knowing that his promise is always true. I'm going to keep on fighting, following, stepping with the Spirit. Because he says, I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want to be disqualified. We already have enough of those examples. We don't need any more examples. People in the kingdom, people with the greatest mission, we already have enough examples of allowing the flesh to triumph over walking in the Spirit. We don't need any more disqualification. I know what I'm talking about. And I'm begging you to hear what the Spirit of God is pleading with you over through the Apostle Paul. I know what I'm talking about. No more disqualifications. Fight. Fight. Is it the Spirit's power? Absolutely. Without Him, we got no shot. But with the Spirit's power, He's saying you got to keep. You got to keep in step. You got to keep on fighting. One more time. Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want to I wrap this series up by reading something to you. It is um, a little work, a little devotion, really, by a guy named Max Licato. This just stemmed out of a, a morning, literally, devotion for him, a time where he gets up and he's just spending a few moments and he, and he began to write. And this has shown up in, this is a long time ago, it's shown up in books since then and different places, but I, I, it feels, I, I think this is what we just need to hear as we think back over what we're processing here. This is what he says. It's quiet, it's early, my coffee is hot, the sky is still black, the world is still asleep, the day is coming. In a few moments, the day will arrive. It will roar down the track with the rising of the sun. The stillness of the dawn will be exchanged for the noise of the day. The calm of solitude will be replaced by the pounding pace of the human race. 
The refuge of the early morning will be invaded by decisions to be made and deadlines to be met. And for the next 12 hours, I will be exposed to the day's demands. So it is now that I must make a choice. Because of Calvary, I'm free to choose. So I choose love. No occasion justifies hatred. No injustice warrants bitterness. I choose love. Today I will love God and what God loves. I choose love. I choose joy. I will invite my God to be the God of circumstances. I will refuse the temptation to be cynical, the tool of a lazy thinker. I will refuse to see people as anything less than human beings created by God. I will refuse to see any problem as anything less than opportunity to see God. I choose joy. I choose peace. I will live forgiven. I will forgive so that I may live. I choose peace. I choose patience. I will overlook the inconveniences of the world. Instead of cursing the one who takes my place, I'll invite him to do so. Rather than complain that the wait is too long, I will thank God for a moment to pray. Instead of clenching my fist at new assignments, I will face them with joy and courage. I choose patience. I choose kindness. I will be kind to the poor, for they are alone. Kind to the rich, for they are afraid. And kind to the unkind, for such is how God has treated me. I choose kindness. I choose goodness. I will go without a dollar before I take a dishonest one. I will be overlooked before I will boast. I will confess before I will accuse. I choose goodness. I choose faithfulness. Today I will keep my promises. My debtors will not regret their trust. My associates will not question my word. My wife will not question my love. And my children will never fear that their father does not want to come home. I choose gentleness. Nothing is won by force. I choose to be gentle. If I raise my voice, may it be only in praise. If I clench my fist, may it only be in prayer. If I make a demand, may it be only of myself. And I choose self-control. Because I am a spiritual being. And after this body is dead, my spirit will soar. I refuse to let what will not rule the eternal. I choose self-control. I will be drunk only by joy. I will be impassioned only by my faith. I will be influenced only by God. I will be taught by Christ. I choose self-control. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To these I commit my day. If I succeed, I will give thanks. If I fail, I will seek his grace. And then when this day is done, I will place my head on my pillow and rest. And I think, perhaps, if the Apostle Paul had been involved in writing that most remarkable work, Paul would add, and then I will rise the next morning. And in the super 
power of the Spirit of my God who lives within me, I will fight another day. God, for some of us, it's time for this to move from just a study. It's time to move from something that we just read from the pages. It's time for it to become our story. God, some, some of us here today, your, your kids, God, there, there have been moments on and off where, where we recognize we have, we have lived what it means to truly walk in, in the Spirit, to truly keep in step with you, and then there are moments we know it's not. We are not. And God, maybe even today, there, there are numbers of us across this room that we know, we know there is that thing and we have stopped fighting or we, we have not, certainly we have not fought within the power of your spirit. And right now, right now it, it is not bringing life and it is not reflecting your greatness. And God, I'm asking you to help us to see some consequences here today. I'm asking you to help us to hear what we just read. God, we don't want any more disqualification. God, we want to be your kids that when we walk it out in this world, people people don't think it's a joke. Because they see your power at work in us. Give us strength to fight. Give us strength to fight. But with every ounce of strength that you give us, may we acknowledge your strength at work. God, some here today need to know there is forgiveness. Some here today need to know that when it feels like the fight is over, the cross says it's not. God, there may be some here today who they have never entrusted their life to you, and I'm praying that you today would speak clearly. God, draw, draw people to yourself. God, help us to see how you love us. Help us to see our need for you. God, some here today most likely need, we we need to see our desire put to death. And it needs to become a life that trusts you. God, today, today will you give us courage to step. God, thank you for what you've taught us in this series. God, may it become more than a study. More than a study. May we know the superpower that you are working in us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.